Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. We are in the middle of a series, uh, really our, our banner series for the year called Free People. Uh, and, and we're looking at the idea of we know that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But what does that mean? Like if, if we have a freedom in Christ, how do we live in the freedom that He has won for us? And, and so across the last fortnight, we looked at, well, what, what is biblical freedom? And we established the idea, really, that it's, it's freedom for rather than freedom from. It's, it's not just moments of liberty, but it's a life of freedom for us and for others. And we looked at, well, then how do we get free? And, and, and really, freedom comes from a right identity, from understanding whose we are and who we are, realizing who God is, what, who, the character of God, the nature of God, and who we are, that we are called by God, that, that God calls us sons and daughters, and that it's not an achieved identity. It's not an identity like so many other identities that, that we might come across or might be forced onto us that, that is something that we can earn or lose, but it's a received identity, an identity that we didn't do anything to convince God to, to adopt us, but, but that He decided before, before the beginning of time, before things were established, God decided, God saw us knowing what it would take to draw us into His family, and that God decided to include us. And, and so if we know what freedom is, and we know how we get free, today I want to look at the question, how do we stay free? Right, because it's one thing to, to get free, but, but if your experience is anything like mine, sometimes life can feel a little bit like a roller coaster, right? Moments of freedom, moments of breakthrough, and, and then moments where you realize, I'm not quite sure when, like I don't feel like I made a decision to stop being free, but somewhere along the way, something happened, something went, went wrong, and, and I feel like I'm, I'm back where I don't want to be. And, and there's not a quick fix, there's not a silver bullet, there's, I'm not going to say like, hey, say these three words in the mirror every morning and you'll never struggle with anything again. But I am going to say that God does have a way of life for us, that there is a, a good life for us in which we can uh, journey towards freedom in maybe a healthier and more helpful way than, than yo-yoing in and out of it, yeah? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to, uh, to uh, I was going to say Romans, we're going to get there eventually, but we're going to start in Numbers, we'll start in the Old Testament, we'll go forward. Turn with me uh, to Numbers chapter 11, this is verses 4 to 6, it's a passage you, you might recognize, it says this, the rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. Some of you can relate to that feeling, right? Daniel Fast, you're like, yeah, it's, it's, I, can, I can empathize. If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Why don't you bow your heads with me one more time and, um, and let's pray. God, I thank you for these moments together. God, I thank you for, for your truth, for your declaration that we are a free people. God, I thank you even for what you've been doing in, in just the last few weeks, the testimonies of people encountering you and encountering your freedom of, of finding life and, and more life than they thought. God, I pray, would you keep on doing what you're doing? God, we know that, that we don't try and make you move in any sort of way, but you come and by your sovereignty, you would meet with us. And so today, God, we pray, would you do it again? Would you meet with us today? Would we leave freer than when we came in, not just for us, but for the world around us? Would we be a free people? Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So, so you might be a little bit familiar with, with the passage I just read in, in Numbers uh, 11, right? That the, the people of, of Israel, for context, have just been freed from slavery in Egypt. They're now in the desert roaming towards the promised land. It's taking a bit longer than they would have hoped. And, and they, start, they start craving different food. God is giving them manna in the morning. He's giving them something to live on, but it's not really kind of satisfying their appetites, and so the people start to remember, hey, remember in Egypt, we used to have, have food that, that tasted a bit better than what we're having now. Forgetting the fact that it came with a bit of a, a side dish of slavery, right? That aside. And so I oh, imagine if we could go back to, to there. What you might not be aware of, though, is, is how this story concludes. The people are in the desert, and they're like, manna does not taste good. And remember when we had the free fish of Egypt, the onions, the leeks, the garlics, and do not forget the cucumbers and melons. Right, if only we could go back. And, and so God actually responds to this question, this, this complaint, this wail, as the Bible describes it, and a little bit further in Numbers chapter 11, verses 18 to 20. It says this, jump there with me. Uh, the Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. Some of you are tempted to say amen. Just, just wait, it, it, it unwraps a little bit further. You will not eat it just for one day or two days, or five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month, until it comes out your nostrils and you loathe it. Some of you still want to say amen, right? Keep on following with me. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him, saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? See, what's going on is God essentially says, you want meat. I'll, I'll give you meat. I'll give you so much meat, it comes out of your nose. You probably didn't realize that was a biblical turn of phrase, right? Oh, that's where it came from. Okay, interesting. And we've all been there, right? We can empathize with the, the Israelites a little bit. We've all been there where maybe you're, you're craving a certain something, but we've all been there also, uh, well, at least I have, where maybe you, you satisfy or attempt to satisfy that craving and you overindulge, right? Uh, again, I'm, I'm speaking to the summer barbecues where you ate too much meat and you got the meat sweats. Did anyone get the meat sweats at any stage? Like, no, you don't have to say recently, but any stage in your life you've gotten the meat sweats, some of you got things to aspire to. No, that's not true. Right? This is not a biblical endorsement of gluttony. That's not what's happening here. It's not like, hey, this is amazing. We do believe in feasting, but, but not overindulging uh, in, in that sort of way. See, this is the, the Bible's first recording, and, and I think only recording, of the meat sweats. Uh, but before we use that as, as an excuse, it's, it's important to see how this story ends. Right? In fact, in, in Numbers 11, it goes on, and there's a bunch uh, interspersed throughout it. You can read it in your own time if you like. But to, to kind of round out the story, there's a divine migration of quail. Quail, for, for those of us who, who don't know, is basically a really small bird, like a chicken, but you can kind of fit it in your hand. One quail per person would, would be a nice little, uh, nice little snack, right? And, and so there's this divine migration of quail, and the people go out, and there's just quail everywhere. The Bible describes that there, there is quail a day's walk in any direction, just on the ground, just there to be scooped up. And so for an entire day and a night, that's what they do. The people are wanting some meat, and so they go out and they gather quail, just huge amounts of it, and they gorge, they, they feast, they stuff themselves, and as they do, some people become ill, so ill that some people die from having eaten so much meat. Like, John, I don't believe such a thing is possible. I'm going to test out this hypothesis later on in the week. Right? I, I would suggest not. Right? They go out and they eat so much that they die to the point that this place where they have gathered all this quail is called in the Hebrew, Kabroth Hata'ava, which means the graves of those who craved. Got dark all of a sudden, right? The graves of those who craved. 
I don't know about you, but when I read this story, especially in kind of the, the context of the wider Exodus story, it just seems tragic to me. Here are these people who have been freed from slavery in Egypt, who, who have been freed finally to move towards the promise, to move towards the promised land. They've escaped Egypt, escaped depression. The very thing that they have been hoping and dreaming for for generations has happened, and some of them die in the desert because they were so ruled by their desires and cravings. They've found freedom, but they are unable to stay free. You know, C.S. Lewis, in the back of his book, The Abolition of Man, he, he compiles a series of sayings from, from a number of world religions about the, the good way to live life. It's kind of a bit of a project to show, hey, no matter what faith you might come from, there's a general consensus amongst all people about what a good life looks like, what are good things to do and what are bad things to do. And it kind of boils down to a bit of a simple list of like, hey, don't, don't steal, don't kill, and don't lie. Like if we, if we do those things, then things tend to go a bit better than if we, if we uh, steal, kill, and lie. I think we can all agree. Maybe in, in Christian thought, we could sum this up in the, the golden rule, right? To, to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. To treat others the way that we would like to be treated. Doesn't take a genius, though, to figure out that's not really what happens, though, is it? Like, we all know the good way to live life. The good way, the world would work perfect. There would be no war. There would be no famine. There would be none of the, the ills that we see on the news that make us feel queasy in our stomach, and we either continue to watch in a kind of paralyzed state of what do I do, or we turn it off and put our head in the sand. There would be none of that if everyone would just follow what seems to be a bit of a consensus agreement that if we would just treat others the way that we would like to be treated, things would go well. Right? We, 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 don't, we, we seem to know what's right. Whether we have a faith in Christ or not, there's something built into us, something of maybe the Imago Dei, the image of God, which knows what's right. But we don't seem to always do what's right, do we? We seem to so often be, be ruled by our, our cravings, by our desires. We know it's not wise, and yet we eat so much quail that we die. Maybe not for you literally, but you get kind of the figurative point, right? And so then I think surely the question is, is why? Why do we behave in ways that we know are not good for ourselves or others? Well, the, the Bible's answer is, is sin. The Bible's answer is that there is an evil, destructive power at work in the world that, that enslaves us. The, the Bible teaches that sin destroys freedom. We, we see it here in Numbers 11. The Israelites say, we had a wonderful time in Egypt. Let's go back. There's something broken within them. We spent the last two weeks using the Exodus, the escape from Egypt, as a picture of how we can move into freedom. And now we've just gone through their whole escape, their, their drawing out. We, we've, we've referenced it. We've been aware of it. If you've been reading the devotionals, we've gone back to it over and over again. And these people want to go back. You'd be forgiven for reading this and being like, these people are idiots. Like what, what is going on? This is a foolish decision. I mean, yeah, you didn't pay for the fish in Egypt, but part of the reason that you didn't pay for the fish in Egypt is because you didn't have any money. You were a slave. You didn't own anything. You couldn't have paid for the fish in Egypt even if you wanted to. They were whipping you. They were making you make bricks without straw. I don't really know how to make bricks with or without straw, but that sounds harder. Right, and if, if those two things weren't enough, they were killing your children. Who looks at all of that and says, yeah, but the fish was free. 
we see it and we know this is foolish. How could they even think about going back? The only right thing to do is to keep on pushing forward, to keep moving towards the promised land. It's, it's obvious. It's so obvious, and yet they can't seem to do it. Right? Why? Well, as we quoted in, in week one, as N.T. Wright says, you can take the Israel out of Egypt, but it's much harder to take the Egypt out of Israel. Right? Here they are. They're, they're out of Egypt, but they need to get the Egypt out of them. They're free, but they need to stay free because the, the human heart is an idol-making machine. The huge human heart, if left to its own devices, will end up ensnaring us back in sin and slavery. And that's not to say some sort of thing like, oh, we're all horribly bad people, but it's to realize that there needs to be a way of freedom in us or else we will end up in bondage. And so the question today is, how do we stay free? How do we get the Egypt out of us? To answer that question, we need to look a little bit closer at the problem. And so, so let's have a look. What's, what's happening here? Right, the people of Egypt, it's probably the people of Israel are out of Egypt. They're in the desert. They're free. They've, they've lost their chains, but they're still slaves. Right, they don't have an Egyptian slave driver, but they're still slaves to, to sin, which is why they're in the desert. They're in the desert because the desert is a place of transformation. It's a place of change. It's a place to, to learn to trust God. Now, remember last week, they didn't even know God's name. They didn't know his character. They didn't know his, his nature. I don't know if you've ever watched uh, one of those kind of documentaries about rescuing animals. But, but in the documentaries where they're rescuing animals from, from horrible situations, the animals, when they are first rescued, are, are feral. Right? What, what that means is, is that they just want to hurt any and everyone as a defense mechanism. The animal doesn't realize that the person coming to rescue them is coming to rescue them. They're going to treat them in the same way that anyone else is, is, is coming at them, right? They're, everything is danger. Everything is a threat. And, and so the first thing that needs to happen when this animal is rescued is they need to be healed, often physically. But, but more than that, and often in a, a way that takes a bit longer than just the physical healing, there needs to be something of an emotional healing. They need to be taught to, to trust again. They need to have, have something of the trust in the world and in people rebuilt for them. I think the same is, is true of us. Right? Sin breaks something in us. There's something of a trust that, that's broken in us. There's something of a, a way of reacting to the world that's broken in us, and we need to learn how to, to trust again. And so when we come into a relationship with Jesus, we're adopted into the family. We're given a, a new identity. We're out of Egypt. We're free, but we still need to learn to trust God. See, God didn't deliver them from Egypt for them to wander around in the desert, just like God didn't save you for a one day in heaven. The good news today is that God has freedom for us here and now. We're not free to wait. Oh, one day things will be made right. That is true. One day things will be made right. But there is life and life abundantly here and now. There is something of heaven come to earth here and now. There is freedom here and now. You might look at that and think, well, I, I, think, like I'm, I think I'm pretty free. Like I think if I look at my life, like there's no, you know, like I think things are pretty good. John, maybe you're kind of overstating the situation a little bit. I think it's, I think it's better than you're saying. I don't want to be doom and gloom, but, but I want to suggest maybe, maybe you're pretty free. Or, or maybe you're so used to your chains that you don't notice them. See, the, the Bible says that we're all spiritual slaves, that we see what should be done and we struggle to do it, right? Romans chapter 7. And, and anybody who, who thinks that this isn't the case probably just hasn't tried very hard. It's like that moment. Maybe you haven't had this moment, but I have had this moment 
where you think your level of physical fitness is the same as what it once was. And then there's a moment where that's tested, right? Say you have to run for a bus, or it, it happened to me in Wellington when I used to have to run for the train every now and then, and I was like, I can run from here to there really quickly without getting too puffed, right? And, and then that idea would be tested by reality, and I would have to run from here to there, and sometimes, I gotta say, I miss the train. And I had a moment of reflection on the platform <laughs> as I watched it pull away. I was like, hmm. I don't think that I'm as fit as I think I am. Like the things that I think I'm able to do, I'm, I'm maybe not as able to do them as, as I once was. Growing up, uh, we had a stage at my high school that was, it was probably like yay high. The story will grow in the telling, right? It was this high. It was a wall. And I could jump onto the stage from standing in, in front of it on the floor just like a, a standing jump. It was quite impressive. Just take my word for it. A couple of years later, uh, as a church, we went back to that same high school, and we hired it for uh, Sunday services. And so I walked in, and I was like, hey, guys, watch this. I went up to the stage, I jumped, and somehow the stage grew a lot in our, our gap of, of me going to that school and then us hiring it. I'm not sure how they came in, and they had a carpenter to raise it, but I, I couldn't quite seem to be able to stand and jump um, up onto that stage anymore. I wonder if that can happen to us physically. Maybe it might happen to us in areas that are even more important. So I wonder if you would be bold and brave enough to ask yourself the question, how free am I? Let's go back, for example, to this idea of the golden rule. Right, if we all agree that this is a, a helpful way to, to live day-to-day -day life, think about this saying, do unto others exactly as you would have them do to you if you were them. Right? Do unto others exactly as you would want to have people do to you. Treat others the way that you would like to be treated. What would it look like to actually live that for a day? Right, but put it this way. For a day, meet the needs of other people with all of the strength, with all of the joy, with all of the creativity, with all of the speed with which you meet your own needs. Just for a day, try it. And, and, and my, my feeling is, my experience is, if you try it, all of a sudden, you'll run up against that sinful nature. All of a sudden, you'll run up against those self-serving, self-seeking tendencies. That corruption that's in all of us will be much more obvious because you do not notice your chains until you pull against them. And we just so happen to live in a culture that says, hey, you do you. Right? Radical Western individualism, which says, hey, if you're looking out for yourself and you're happy, then everything is all good. But that's not freedom. That's instead a constraint and idolatry to yourself. Like we said in the very first week, right? Biblical freedom is more than no right, no wrong, no rules for me. Biblical freedom is not just a freedom from, it's a freedom for. What's even more encouraging is that our, our slavery to sin will just naturally get worse. It's not encouraging. Right, but we do need to be realistic about this. Things will not get better on their own. Sin, not just the concept, but the ways that we act that are destructive to ourselves and others, they, they trap us. Sin is addictive. The best metaphor that I've heard for this is, is Jonathan Edwards. He puts it this way. He says, sin turns the heart into a fire. Think about that for a moment. There's never been a fire that says, all right, enough. I'm good. No more, please. Right, a fire is always wanting more. 
A fire will always take more. In the same way, our hearts left to our own devices will never have enough success, will never have enough love, will never have enough approval or comfort. Instead, the more fuel you add to the fire, the higher and the hotter it burns and the more it needs because it will never be enough. We could say it this way. If we follow our desires, if we let our heart be a fire in the way that sin wants it to, we'll end up in the graves of those who crave. St. Augustine would describe it as disordered desires or disordered loves. These are not necessarily bad things, but they are good things in the wrong order. And in the wrong order, they consume us and they consume others. And in verse 20, God speaks to this addiction. He says, hey, I'll give you what you want. I'll give you over your desires to show you just what will happen. You'll eat so much meat that you'll hate it. You'll, you'll loathe it. There's a, a nuance in the Hebrew. He essentially says, you'll loathe meat because you loathed me. You'll lose your appetite for everything else because you have lost your appetite for me. See, here's what I'm getting at. It's, it's never going to be enough to simply point at our sinful, disordered desires and say, hey, stop it. I don't know if you've tried that. Look yourself square in the mirror and you're like, stop it. Bad sin. Go away. Right? We are not dogs to be growled at. But there is an opportunity. There's an invitation here. We know what's good and bad. That's not the problem. The problem is it's easy to know. It's hard to do. So what's the invitation? What's the solution? Well, Paul says this in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. And how does Paul say that we stay free? He says, live by the Spirit. He continues, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. How does the Holy Spirit guide our lives? Well, what does God do once he gets Israel out of Egypt? He works on getting Egypt out of them. He does a few things. First of all, he builds a tent. He builds a tabernacle in the middle of a camp. He builds a place of worship. See, there's freedom in reordering our desires. I don't know if you realize when you come in on a Sunday morning and you lift up praise and worship to God, it is an act of spiritual warfare. Or it can be if you let it. It's an act of taking the desires within your heart and simply restructuring them. It's, a, it's an opportunity to remind your heart, to speak to your soul, to speak to your heart in the language of the psalmist and say, heart, do you realize that the things that I might be tempted to think are the ultimate things in life are good, but they cannot satisfy me? To remind yourself there is freedom and there is life in, in acknowledging who God is and in putting him in his rightful place that everything else might flow from that. Because as we grow our appetite for God, we taste and see that the Lord is good. And when we taste and see that the Lord is good, everything else in life comes into the right order, into the right place. It, it comes to life in a new way. He brings out the colors, to quote a song. Right? We need to replace the fire of sin in our heart with a different fire, a better fire, a holy fire. A fire that doesn't consume us. A bush that is burning but doesn't burn up. Coal that might touch our lips, but rather than destroying, cleanses. How do we stay free? Right? It's, I think I've made a depressing enough case that our hearts will naturally tend to back towards slavery. That we will enslave ourselves again and again. That we can come to freedom in moments, but, but that freedom persists in something more. The answer, how do we stay free? The solution 
is intimacy. How does the Holy Spirit guide our lives? It's, it's through intimacy. It's, it's through relationship. Which is all well and good to say, but then, like, how do we do that? Well, like, I don't know if you've found, but there's no prayer to pray, which, like, bang, okay, now I've got intimacy. There's no three-step solution of, of now intimacy arrives. How do we pursue intimacy with God? How do we pursue intimacy with anyone, really? Time. I think, if we're being honest, most of us, uh, we're too busy to really follow Jesus. We're too busy for true, life-changing intimacy. We're too busy for, for a freedom that, that sustains, a freedom that, that continues throughout the ups and the downs of life. For most of us, if we're being honest, and I am speaking to my own experience here too, our relationship with God it so easily is, is reduced down to quick prayers on the fly and hurried requests. Right? It's snippets of worship songs in the car. We arrive, we're like, oh, I guess that song's done. Nothing wrong with that, but, but there's these moments, rush Sundays, multitasking through sermons, thinking about our to-do list in the week ahead, especially those sermons that make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. It's this one. <laughs> All of a sudden, those other thoughts start to come in. Oh, I really need to think about what color I might paint the bathroom. Do you? <laughs> or maybe this is an uncomfortable moment looking at some of the things in our life that are not helpful but are really hard to change and we want to distract ourselves. It's those moments of, of leaning in, and I don't say that to, to guilt us, but to find ourselves into what is all too often our current reality. Think about it this way. If, if you have a child or, or even you know, anyone really in your life that you're trying to build a relationship with, to, to foster trust and intimacy, you, you can't sit down and say, for example, all right, let's use my son, right? Son, you and me, quality time, right? So, so uh, half an hour every Friday, we're hanging out. There's nothing wrong with that. Quality time is, is good, but, but you cannot force quality time is what I'm trying to say. You can't schedule intimacy. You can't schedule quality time. You can't say, all right, Friday, 8 till 8.30. So uh, let's, let's, let's establish what time you get. 8 till 8.05, you tell me about your week. Uh, 8.05 to 8.15, tell me about something that's upsetting you. Uh, 8.15 till 8.20, I'm going to solve all your problems. 8.20 to 8.21, we'll have a nice hug. Look, a minute for a hug, that's a loving father. And then uh, 8.21 to 8.30, just miscellaneous. Whatever else you got going on, you can tell me about Pokemon or whatever. And, and then quality time, tick, right? Not a bad thing to do to sit down with someone for, for a half an hour and and spend time, but, but we could put it this way. People don't work that way. Personal relationships don't work that way. Some of you, this is an epiphany. You're like, oh, wow. <laughs> Often the way that intimacy really happens is it happens in the middle of something else. Inopportune times. Right? You're in the middle of doing the dishes or on a walk or in the car or sitting in the lounge reading, and, and one day out of the blue, the, they'll sit down and say, hey, I'm worried about, and it'll come out. T Tim Keller puts it this way. The only way to get quality time is to have lots and lots of quantity time and wait for quality time to bubble up. I'll say that again. The only way to have quality time is to have lots and lots of quantity time and wait for the quality time to bubble up. I want to say, I think that's the way it is with God. We have to spend time with Him. We have to spend time reading His Word. We have to spend time in worship, corporate and personal. We have to spend time talking and spend time in silence, giving space. And, and to be clear, God's not waiting for us to clock up enough hours to draw close, right? Like, I don't know, Jono's only, you know, spent some quiet time with me for 30 minutes this week, so I'm not talking to him. 
Right? That, that's not the way it is. God's not got some tally board. He's not running some clock up in heaven. Like, all right, now I'll draw close. I think a much more apt example is we are like snow globes. We are shaken by the world. And it's a mess. It's a flurry. Things are flying around. And we just need to put in some time to allow things to settle to allow some stillness to come, to allow some clarity to come, that maybe God has been speaking the entire time. Maybe God has been drawing close the entire time, but we need to do something in ourselves to allow us to draw close to God. Maybe the issue is not a God coming close to us problem. It's a us drawing close to God problem, and we need time. We need space. We need to put in a little bit of parameters around us. Maybe we are too busy to follow Jesus, and that's not Jesus saying, hey, you don't have time for me, so I don't have time for you. But it's we're drawing close, and then we're walking away before we even get a chance to get an answer. Maybe we're like snow globes. Think about this practically and how God leads the people. He leads them out of Egypt into Israel. As we said, they build the tabernacle, a place of worship, a place of, of reflection. And then God tells them to establish the Sabbath, right? a, a day of rest, a day of space, a day of reflecting and enjoying God, a day to get Egypt, hustle and toil and earning our identity out of them. It's a day of intimacy. It's a place of intimacy, tabernacle and Sabbath. And maybe you're here today and you say, ah, I don't know. Like, I think I'm too far gone or... Johnny, you haven't seen my schedule. It's just not a viable option for me. I feel like I've got such a fire in me for all of the wrong things. I feel like every time there's an altar call to freedom, I'm there and it's me again. And, and, and I know who I am and I know who God calls me to be, but I just can't stay free. John, I feel like I'm a yo-yo. I feel like I'm drawing close to God. And then something happens and I'm snapped back and, and the things that are destructive again. And then I'm pushing in again and I'm snapping. And I just, I'm sick of the cycle. Can I say this to close as the, as the band joins me? I believe if you spend enough time with Jesus, you'll encounter redemption. I, I think of, of Judas, probably the most tragic, unlikable character in the whole Bible. I've yet to go to a, a Sunday school class. We're talking about our favorite disciples, and someone's like, I like Judas, except for that one kid, but they know it's the wrong answer. They're just trying to be difficult, right? I was that one kid. I'm like, I know my Bible. I'll test you. Right, Judas, he's the, the greedy disciple who exploited Jesus, who sold the Savior for a handful of shekels, who in the end is so haunted by what he's done that he can't live with himself. And so after Jesus' crucifixion, J Judas is last seen on the pages of Scripture in a field alone, in a place where he's run to try to escape himself, to outrun his shame. And it is there that he makes a casket out of his shame and he lies down in the field. I read that story and I wonder what would have happened if he just held on three more days. I wonder how might the resurrected Jesus have responded to the disciple who had so dramatically betrayed him? It's a question we can never know the answer to, but, but we can know how he responded to another disciple who betrayed him. Differently, but, but betrayed him all the same. Within a few hours of Judas's kiss of betrayal, selling the Messiah for a few coins, it was Peter who betrayed the Messiah three times as he warmed his hands over a charcoal fire. And, and Judas was the betrayer Jesus mentioned as he dips his hands into the bowl at the Last Supper, but Peter was the betrayer Jesus mentioned on the very night in front of the rest of the 11. 
Judas couldn't bear to look at Jesus on the witness stand running to a faraway field, but it was Peter who locked eyes with Jesus on the witness stand, who locked eyes with Jesus right as the rooster crowed, signaling his third denial, just like Jesus said it would. And it was Peter who couldn't bear to see him there after that moment who ran out weeping. It was Judas whose shame laid him in the ground to sleep for good, but it was Peter whose shame didn't let him sleep a wink up all night fishing days after his betrayal. And it's here in the middle of his shame that that Jesus meets his betrayer. Peter is passing his hours at work just trying to keep busy, just trying to keep his mind distracted. And then on the beach, there's a fire, a charcoal fire. And Jesus calls to Peter from that fire, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three questions for three betrayals, all of them followed by the recommissioning. Feed my sheep. And so it's Peter the betrayer who is recommissioned in the midst of his shame as the rock on whom Jesus will build the church. And it's Peter, the betrayer, who stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached a sermon that launched a movement to bring hope and healing to the world the day that the church was born. What if Judas had just held on three more days? Again, it's a mystery we cannot know the answer to. But I do find myself wondering, If the great tragedy of Judas was not that he betrayed Jesus, but that he didn't stick around long enough to be redeemed. Because the answer to our hurt, the answer to our shame, the answer to our habits of sin is time with Jesus. Time that we might not feel we deserve, but time that he wants to spend all the same. See, freedom is not a place that we arrive at. We don't enter freedom and then from then on it's easy. In Genesis, Joseph leads the people of Israel into Egypt in the time of trouble. It was a place of provision originally. But a place of provision became a prison because it's not about a place. Freedom is not a place. It's a person. A person we can follow after. A person we can know. A person we can love and be loved by. Freedom is found in knowing who we are and and whose we are. Freedom is kept in following after the one who saved us and keeps on saving us and pursuing our Savior. And as we pursue Him, we follow Him into mission. He leads us into freedom. And as He does, we help others find their freedom because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Because free people, free people. Church, will you stand to your feet? We're gonna finish in two ways. The first is an invitation to draw close to a God who wants to know you. Just wanna say Jesus came to overcome the sin that would stand in the way of us and God. He came to die the death of sin for us, but Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose on the third day to offer life, to bring freedom to anyone who would trust Him. It is a gift freely given. Freedom has come and freedom has a name and His name is Jesus. And all could enter freedom if they would confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If we would say, Jesus, I recognize that sin and shame would bind me, would constrain me, would enslave me, but I will not let that be my God anymore. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. Help me. Jesus meets us in the middle of that. And so before we go any further, as every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, in the room and online, 
If you're here today and you would simply say, I realize today that I need more freedom. I want to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never decided that before, or maybe today it is simply a recommitment. Can I say we cannot commit enough times? We're not earning salvation, but there is something so important, something so special, something so sacred about choosing to reorient our heart towards God. I want to say every time I lead you in this prayer, I'm praying it afresh. So if you're here today and you would say, I want to choose to follow Jesus and today something's changing. Maybe it's the first time you've made this decision. Maybe you're making it and you've made it before, but something fresh about it today. Just heads about as eyes are closed. If that's you, would you raise your hand up nice and high and let me know in three, two, one. If that's you, would you raise your hand nice and high? Awesome, I see their hand. I see their hand. Others here today, if that's you, would you raise your hand? I see their hand. Would you raise your hand up nice and high and let me know. Come on, one of the things we say here is we don't follow Jesus on our own. Follow Jesus for ourselves, but we cannot follow Jesus on our own. And so as you put your hand up, you're asking Jesus into your heart, but you're also letting us know that we can help you in this. We want to be your family. We want to support you in this. We want to champion you in the conviction that you have. One more time, if that's you, would you raise your hand up nice and high and let me know? Awesome. Church, would you pray this prayer after me? God, today, I know I'm a sinner. That something separates me from you. But God, today, I also know that you came to make a way where there wasn't a way, to die the death of sin for me. And so today, I choose to follow you. I give you my life. Would you help me? Fill me with your spirit. Give me your power and your grace to live the life that I was born to live. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, here's what we're going to do. In a moment, the, the band's going to lead us in a song. But, but I believe there's a, a number of responses that, that God might be calling us to today. The first is quite simple. Maybe your response needs to be outside of this room to pursue intimacy. I think we'd all agree that, that if we only spoke to someone once a week, we would know them. We might be friends. Maybe there are people in the room that you know, that you speak to once a week, but it's not, it's not intimacy. Not in the way that it could be. If you had a son or a daughter, or a, a husband or a wife, a, a mother or a father, and, and you only spoke to them every now and then, it wouldn't be an intimate relationship. And so maybe you're here and, and you realize, hey, I just need, to, just need to put in a little bit more time with God. Not to earn His love, not to earn an identity, but simply to let the, the snow globe settle and realize He's talking the whole time. I just need some stillness to receive. Maybe you're online today. There's been something keeping you away from being in the room and, and you would just realize, hey, there's nothing wrong with being online, but, but I'm welcome here too. Following Jesus is something we do in community and there's something about being surrounded by people who are championing me in my faith that I need to build the intimacy that I desire. Maybe you're here and, and you would realize, hey, tabernacle, Sabbath. Intimacy takes time. I need to slow down. Maybe you would pray a prayer that that some of us started praying a couple of years ago. Maybe you want to take it back up again. Father, today, help me to slow down, to be aware of you and to be aware of others. It's just simple. Again, it's not magic, but it puts the intention you have out square in front of you. God, I want to be aware of you. 
I want to slow down. I realize that the world is telling me to go faster and faster and faster. Constant distraction, constant entertainment, but that's not the way of life. Maybe you're hearing it, it's very simple. You picked up a free people devotional, you read the first week, life got busy. Where did that devotional go? It's just re-engaging. God, I want to spend some time with you at the start of, of every morning. I want to hear what it is you're saying. I want to draw close. There are things that we're doing to try and help you. Can I encourage you if you're umming and ahhing, all in? Again, coming to church multiple times does not guarantee intimacy, but it's setting you up for a win. Put yourself in that place Thursday night as we come together. Church twice in a week is, is it better than church once a week. Not going to do it every week, but the week after. We are going to do it again, right? Presence night first Wednesday of every month, the place that we are intentionally creating where there's not going to be a whole lot of preaching. I know you love it. I'm sorry. But it's just space to worship, to pray, to lean in. What do you need to do not to earn God's love, but to embrace the intimacy? Church, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, we thank you that you have relationship for us. God, that today you are willing, that you are close. God, today, help us to realize what are the practical, everyday, ordinary, and yet profound things we can do to enable life, to draw close to you. God, we thank you just like every other relationship in our life. Our relationship with you is built, is reinforced, is strengthened by time. We spend time with the ones we love. Help us to spend time with you. Church, in a moment, the band's going to lead us in the song, Nothing Else. And my encouragement is simply that you would let it be a prayer. That you would take these words, they would land in your heart. Maybe there's something in here that that lands in you and you go, oh, that's me. God, I repent. God, I, I don't want anything but you. God, life flows from you. I see you for who you are. I see me for where I am. And even just prophetically, maybe today it's just going to be like a bath. There's some hard bits in some of us. Some things that maybe have have been established in response to the hardships of the world and God just wants to just let you soak a little bit. Let some of those walls fall down. Some of that trust start to rebuild. There's nowhere that you're safer than the hands of a loving God. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.